Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much. And uh, if you want to keep your Bibles open, we'll uh, have a look at that passage together. I'm Glenn, if we haven't met before, and uh, I've been so privileged to be here. I love St. Mary's, love coming here. Uh, you guys support uh, Speak Life, which is the ministry I'm a part of in Eastbourne, and I thank you for your prayers and uh, all sorts of ways that you guys support us. So it's just a real privilege to be here. Um, why don't I pray for us that I'd be clear and that we'd all understand what God has to say to us through his word. Let me, let me pray. Father, thank you so much that we can gather together to hear your voice. And we ask you, please, to speak to us now. Speak to us in the depths of our being. Show us Jesus again, so that in his face we might know who we truly are, and in his face, we might know who you truly are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Did you notice in verse 16 on page 967, that second column halfway down, verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. If the heavens opened, what would you see? Well, we live in England, so uh, rain is what we see. It's a pretty common occurrence, and we have that saying, don't we? Uh, the heavens opened, you might say. I went and played golf, and we got through 17 holes. We were about to get to the very end, and then the heavens opened, and we were like drowned rats. We have that saying, don't we? The heavens opened, and it means rain. But a couple of times in the Bible, it means it literally. Back in Noah's day, the heavens opened and the rain came, and that was a figurative thing. But a couple of times in the Bible, when the heavens open, you literally get to see behind the curtain. You get to see the cockpit of all reality. If you got to see into ultimate reality, if you got to see God, what would you see? When I grew up, my vision of God was indistinguishable from my view of electricity. I knew that electricity was very powerful. I thought God's probably quite powerful. I knew that clever people could harness the power of electricity and it would bless their lives. And I knew that foolish people, if they got on the wrong side of electricity, zap. And that was my view of God. God was beyond my comprehension. God was powerful. Maybe, if you were clever, you could use him in your life for blessing. 
but probably you'd get on the wrong side of him, so best to keep a safe distance. That was my view of electricity. That was my view of God. I wonder what your view of God is. My day job is to go around and talk to people about what, what do you think God is like? And lots of people say to me, don't, don't bother speaking to me about God, Glenn. I don't even believe in God. And as I've said, often, I, I often have a question back to those people. I say, well, which God don't you believe in? And they end up describing something that sounds very much like electricity to me. A distant power, utterly impersonal with no real connection to our day-to-day life. And I think to myself, I agree with you. If that's what God is like, then don't waste your breath. Don't waste any time on a God who is so distant, so irrelevant. I'm a little bit like, imagine a woman who grows up and uh, all throughout her life, she keeps on telling people how much she is against the institution of marriage, right? And she said, oh, it's a horrible institution, it's patriarchal, it's ancient, we, we need to throw off the shackles of this thing called marriage. And she's just dead against the institution of marriage, and then she meets Mr. Wright. Can you imagine such a scenario? Really against marriage. Then she meets the guy, and she falls in love. And maybe she even ends up marrying the guy. Why does she end up marrying the guy? Because she believes in marriage? No. No, she believes in him. And he converts her, at least he converts her to himself. And then maybe down the road she might start to see some benefits to marriage. But that's the way it goes. You don't instantly have this love of the institution and then meet the person. It's the other way around when it comes to God. We're not asking you to have some kind of basic love for the notion of a higher power. We're introducing you to a person, Jesus. He is Mr. Right. And whatever you've thought of God, maybe let him convert you to a God who is so much more interesting than electricity, so much more attractive than electricity, a a God who has a face, a God who has a name, Jesus. You might know that Jesus is called the Son of God. In this passage, he's called the Son of God. Verse 17, a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. What does it mean that Jesus is the Son of God? One thing that it means is he is exactly like his dad. The very same nature. A chip off the old block. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. And what an attractive vision of God Jesus gives to us. Here is a God who would come and stoop and serve and suffer and bleed and die even for his enemies. Is that a God you can believe in? I love what Lord Byron, the poet, once said. He said, if God's not like Jesus, he ought to be. Interesting line, isn't it? If God is not like Jesus Christ, he ought to be. I think that's true. The only thing I wish is that Lord Byron would finish the thought. If God's not like Jesus, he ought to be. Good news, though. God is entirely and exactly like Jesus Christ because Jesus is the Son of the Father. And if we come to Jesus to show us what God is like, then we see into the heavens. Then we see into ultimate reality. And what do we see? 
Well, verse 17, we see a voice from heaven. It's, it's the Father, the Father of all, crying out, this is my Son whom I love. And in verse 16, filling his Son with the Holy Spirit. According to the Bible, if the heavens opened and you got to see in, you know what you would see? You would see a Father loving his Son, Jesus, and filling him with the Holy Spirit. And that's why the Bible can say God is love. God is love. The Bible doesn't just say God is loving. God is loving. But God is so much more than loving. God is love. Because he is this eternal father. Loving his eternal son. Filling him with the eternal spirit. Throughout the Bible, the picture of a Fountain is often given of what God is like. You could go to a place like Jeremiah 2, and you could see that the Lord is like a fountain in a desert place. He is the source of light and life and love. This is who God really is. Is this a God you could get excited about? I ask people, do you believe in God? Do you not? And it can become like a philosophical game. And even if people do believe in God, it doesn't change very much. It's like, do you believe in the strong or weak nuclear forces? And you're like, well, (laughs) some people have never heard of the strong and weak nuclear forces. It doesn't change anything about their lives. But if the source of ultimate reality is love, and if the very face of God is Jesus, the kind of Jesus who would have his arms outstretched to the world saying, come home, if that's what God is like, that makes a difference. makes a huge difference. So do you believe in God? Which God? Jesus reveals a God you can really believe in, a fountain of life. But then you think, well, if God is a fountain of life, why is the world the way the world is? Because the world is a a dry place, a parched place. The world is a desert, not a fountain, not a place full of abundance and life. There is so much death and disconnection and destruction in this world. That's why chapter 3 of John's Gospel begins where it begins. Do you see big number 3 means chapter 3 of Matthew's Gospel? In those days, John the Baptist, this wild and woolly preacher, he came preaching in the desert of Judea. This whole scene is set in the desert. Yes, God is a fountain of life, but where do we live We live in parched places. We live in a wilderness. We're thirsty. We're unclean. And John the Baptist preaches his message, verse 2. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. John the Baptist has been predicted for hundreds of years. The prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years earlier, said, a voice of one calling in the desert... Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. So John's whole role, prepared for hundreds of years, is to prepare the way for the Lord. And if you read that verse back in the Old Testament, it would be capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the maker of heaven and earth. The Lord is coming. John is the forerunner. And he goes into the desert place to preach to people. Verse 4 He's a desert kind of a guy with a desert kind of a diet. 
John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. God is a fountain of life. We live in desert places. God is about fullness. We are empty. God is gushing. We are parched and unclean. And so John says, well, you've got to repent. You've got to turn around, head back towards the fountain. That's his big message. Verse 5, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. He's saying, come home. Come home to the place where your thirst is quenched. Come home to the place where all your uncleanness is cleansed. Come home, come home. And it's wildly popular, actually. There are a whole bunch of people who want to get honest with God, and they want to turn from the old life, and they want to come home to God. And so they they want to confess their sins and take this bath in the River Jordan. That's what a baptism is. It's just taking a bath. It's a ritual wash that says... I'm getting cleansed on the outside because I really need that deep clean on the inside. Have you ever wanted that deep clean on the inside? I spoke to a woman once who, she'd come to faith in her 50s. And I said, what was it like coming to Christ? And she said it was like having a power shower on the inside. Have you ever wanted that? A power shower on the inside. There's a beautiful verse In 1 John chapter 1, it says, The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. It's this idea that Jesus went unclean so we could be clean. He paid for our sins so that we could go debt-free. He was crucified on that cross so that we could be liberated from our sins forever. The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sins. She'd come home. She'd confessed her sins to Jesus. And it felt like a power shower on the inside. I had another friend who was involved in uh, couples counseling. And there was one man who, who came to him and, and uh, just confessed to my friend that he'd ruined his life with the decisions he'd made. He'd ruined his marriage, he's ruined his family, he'd ruined his business. He said to my friend, I wish I could take my whole life, bundle it up in a big washing machine, and put it on the hottest wash possible until all the grit and the grime is gone. Have you ever wanted that? I've wanted that many, many, many times. These people want that. They're queuing around the block at the failures convention. That's what the baptism is, the failures convention. It's funny to think that that would be popular, isn't it? Can you imagine outside a convention center, failures convention, come one, come all, you must be a loser. And they're queuing around the block. Do you know why they're queuing around the block? Because they just want to get real. You know, we prize authenticity nowadays. This is real authenticity. This This is real I'm a genuine sinner. I'm really unclean. And I don't care who knows it. So here is the cue around the block. People wanting to get real. They know they're in a desert place. They know they're thirsty. They know they're unclean. They know God is a fountain of life. How do you get back? You've got to go through this wash. You've got to go through this river. 
you've got to take a bath on the way back to God. But while they're thinking about all of that, who should join them at the failures convention but the perfect, pure Son of God? And that's the shock of these verses. Have a look at verse 13. The baptism of Jesus, verse 13. While they're all waiting to take a bath, then Jesus came from Galilee, that's up in the north, to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Do you see why that's a shocking verse? There they are at the Failures Convention. They're all saying, it's a fair cop. I'm a sinner. I need to confess my sins. And then the judge of the world, the perfect, pure son of God, shows up at the Failures Convention, and he joins the queue alongside all the other messy people. Is that a shock? It's a big shock, isn't it? We've got some people who work in marketing, right? This is a PR disaster. Am I right, Lindsay? An absolute PR disaster for Team Jesus. What are the optics, right? What does it look like? It looks like the perfect, pure Son of God is not so pure after all. Isn't that what it looks like? Does he need to take a bath as well? John is confused by this. Do you see verse 14? But John tried to deter Jesus. Of course he's trying to deter Jesus. Verse 13 does not happen the way verse 13 should happen. I mean, think of all the ways that verse 13 should happen, okay? You might think the perfect, pure Son of God came to all the sinners, and they were all conveniently in one place, and he commanded a thunderbolt from on high, and he zapped them all at once, right? He's the judge of the world. He could do that, couldn't he? It's a fair cop. They're all all confessing to be guilty. The judge of the world could come and judge them. And there's just a lot of smoke rising from a lot of sandals. That's it. The end. Great story. (laughs) That's not the way verse 13 goes. The judge of the world does not come to judge them. But neither does verse 13 say Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to baptize all the other people. That would be a lovely verse, wouldn't it? Can you just imagine the the watercolor of the pastoral scene as Jesus washes all the messy people? Wouldn't that be lovely? Jesus doesn't. But Jesus doesn't come and wash all the messy people. Jesus comes and joins the messy people. Isn't that cool? Doesn't judge them. He doesn't wash them, yet he joins them shoulder to shoulder with all the sinners, with all the failures. He's perfect, he's pure, but in solidarity with all sinners, he joins them at the baptism. John doesn't get it. He tries to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? This is the wrong way around. Jesus, you should wash me. How could I wash you? You need to wash me. But Jesus is adamant, verse 15. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Jesus says, let's do it this way around. And if we do it this way around, it will fulfill everything that God is about. And what is God all about? You could say in a line. Jesus comes to join us in our filth and failure so that we can join him in his family. That's a line you could write across every book in the Bible. 
That's what the whole thing is about. All righteousness is about this. The perfect Son of God joins us in our filth and failure so that we can join Him in His family. It's beautiful. This is the first public act of Jesus. He's just turned 30. He's just about to launch himself onto the world stage. And this is what he wants to say to people. I'm joining you in your filth and failure so you can join me in my family. And if you kept on reading through Matthew's gospel and then Mark and Luke and John, these biographies of Jesus, you'd see everything Jesus does. He joins his messy people in their filth and failure. And he takes on their enemies. If they're oppressed by evil, he drives out evil. If they're afflicted by leprosy, he cleanses the leprosy. If they're sick, he heals them. If they're blind, he makes them see. If they can't hear, he unstops their ears. If there's a storm at sea and they're in trouble, he says, quiet, be still. He takes on all our enemies shoulder to shoulder as our brother, as our champion. And on the cross, he really does join his messy people, doesn't he? On the cross, the Bible says, he became sin who knew no sin so that we in him might become God's righteousness. On that cross, he really does join us in all our filth and all our failure. He takes our sins onto himself because this is what love does. Love joins the beloved in their trouble. And he says, your trouble will be my trouble. Your mess will be my mess. Your enemies will become my enemies. Your fate will be my fate. Your sins will be my sins. Your hell will be my hell. He takes it all on himself on that cross. And he rises up again. And he says... I've taken your filth. I've taken your failure. Do you want my family? I keep on talking about the family. What do I mean by the family? Well, it's beautiful, isn't it? Verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw, I love that, Jesus saw this. The the first way into heaven is through Jesus. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is the family that you are made for. Before there was a universe, there was a Father loving his Son in the joy of the Holy Spirit. And you are made to join that love. You are made to be one with Jesus and to stand in that Niagara Falls of blessing from the Father, through the Spirit, in Jesus. There you are home. Home in the love of God, the love that both predated and produced this world, the love you are made for, is to join Jesus in those waters and to hear that voice, the voice that really matters. Don't you recognize that this is what you really need to hear in your life? Everything you've ever chased in this life 
has been a faint echo of this voice. You have wanted to hear the person who really matters tell you, you belong, you're loved, you're even liked. I love this this acclamation from the Father. He says, you're my son, I love you, I'm well pleased with you. Every human being is made to have that identity. And if you don't have that identity, you will seek that identity in a million different counterfeits, and it will never work. We're made to be loved, we're made to belong, and we're made to be liked, okay? We're made to belong. And the Father can say to you, you're my son, you're my daughter. You belong in the family. You're made to be loved. You're made to hear those words and to have them sink deep into your heart. I love you. You are beloved. You are made for that. And you are made to be liked as well, not just loved, but actually liked for the particular stuff that's cool about you. You you are made for that. You are made to hear the one voice that really matters say, you belong, you're beloved, you're even liked. You are made to hear that. Of course, all of us chase that verdict in all the wrong places, and it never works. And we end up in a desert place, parched, thirsty, unclean. And Jesus calls us home. And this morning, Jesus is calling all of us home. Perhaps you've already come to Jesus. You know Jesus. But you also recognize that you chase after these counterfeits a lot, don't you? In desert places, you look for love in all the wrong places. I do, all the time. And Jesus is calling you home. He's saying, come back home. Come back home. Experience my Father's love as your love. Experience my spirit as your spirit. Stand with me again. And maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you've never confessed your sins and taken a bath. Maybe you've never come to Jesus. Well, this morning would be a great time to do that. You can just say to Jesus, look, I'm turning my back on that wilderness of seeking an identity apart from you. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm coming home. I want to take that bath. I want your father as my father, Jesus. I want your spirit as my spirit. I want you as my Lord. I want your future as my future. Is that something you want? Well, right now we're going to hear a a song. We're going to remain seated as uh, we hear it sung to us. As surely as the dawn will come, as certain as the day, there's comfort for the weary. Hope for all who stray. I'd love you to really listen to these words as they are sung to you. And then I'm going to pray a a prayer that might be an appropriate way for you to respond to this Jesus who's calling you home. Let's sit and listen to this.
Let me just uh, lead in a prayer. It's a prayer that you could pray if you've been a Christian many, many decades. Or it's a prayer that you could pray if you want to perhaps become a Christian, even this morning. That's very possible. The arms of Jesus are open wide this morning. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for joining us in our wilderness. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my sin, my selfishness. I'm sorry for seeking answers in things that avoid you, that deny you. But thank you for coming. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again. Please come into my life for the first time or the thousandth. Lord Jesus, fill me for the first time or fill me again with your Holy Spirit. Walk with me through this life and into your eternity. Amen.